what's up everybody? Welcome to the Hotshot Wake Up. This is your weekly wildfire update. Thanks for joining me. Whether you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the Substack, I appreciate all the listeners out there. And of course, the Substack subscribers, which supports everything that I do. Today, we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff. We're going to do an operational update, talk about what's happening in the southern area. There have been 320 new starts branching across Florida, Oklahoma, the Carolinas, and other places. We're also going to talk about a letter that was sent to the Forest Service, the United States Department of Agriculture, the Department of the Interior with the Bureau of Land Management from senators and representatives in Wyoming who are saying that their state was left out of this infrastructure funding that went towards environments and landscapes that were designated as danger zones or in need of project work, as we call it, and the funding for that. And they're saying that their state was left out. They don't have any representation. No one is providing any funding or help to their state for this. So we'll talk about what they sent out to the chief and others. And it seems like there are a lot of these letters going out. As we discussed last week, or I guess it was just on Wednesday on the podcast, on the Substack only show, New Mexico representatives also have been sending these letters out saying, hey, before you go ahead with prescribed burns, we still have a bunch of unanswered questions that we need to have answered from these agencies before going ahead with our spring burn season. Also, if you have been listening, you know that New Mexico is kind of taking a shot across the bow, at least at the Forest Service, saying, hey, we, we have legislation that bans prescribed burning in our state. And so they wrote the letter to these agencies, and I believe it made it up to the White House, saying, hey, just we need questions answered before we move forward with any of this stuff. Now we have Wyoming saying, we've been abandoned, basically. Is there some political slant to it? Of course, there always is to this stuff, but that's how these people get stuff done, and that's how they, that's their world. That's just what it is. That's how they try to get stuff done, and these are the streets and avenues they have to take to try to try to get that sort of funding into their state. So we'll cover the letter that the Wyoming representative sent and basically what they're saying and asking for. And then we have a conversation with Olivia Gagliardi. Olivia was a Flagstaff hotshot, and then she moved on to jump up in Missoula, where she currently is. And she came on to talk about Women in Wildland Fire. It's this organization and event that's coming up on March 21st. And if you want a link to that, it's in the Substack description, and I'll post it on social media as well. I believe it's at 5 p.m. Pacific time, where you can tune into this event. And Olivia talks about how she got into fire, the path that she traveled to where she is now, and what Women in Wildland Fire is trying to do, what they're about, and the resources that they're providing to help bring women into the workforce And not only that, help with retention, which we all know is an issue industry-wide. And furthermore, talk about the different paths that people can take in Wildland Fire to not only progress their career, but find other options for leadership roles without leaving the wildfire world, but also not being in primary fire. And this is something that a lot of firefighters think about. And we kind of cover that thought process and the struggle people have trying to figure out, hey, where do I want my career path to go? So thanks for tuning into that as well. Thanks for Olivia for coming on. It's a great conversation and that will be further here in the episode. But first, let's run down our operational update. Again, there's not a tremendous amount of wildfire activity, but there is more than probably a lot of people know and updated just Yesterday, March 17th, the activity for the last week, so March 10th through March 16th, there was a total of 527 wildfires in the nation. 10 of those, which I believe would be surprising to some, 10 of those were considered large incidents. Six of those incidents have been contained, and there are currently seven uncontained large fires, believe it or not. I'm sure a lot of people didn't know that. Quite frankly, I didn't know that until I pulled this up, and I follow this stuff every single day. Right now, the southern area is the only thing on the SIT report. It's a PL1, nothing too surprising. They did have 320 new fires in that area, nine new large incidents, 
in Region 8, and those are where the uncontained large fires are. There's seven of them. Just a quick rundown. There's the Raccoon Fire, which we talked about a couple days ago. That's down in Florida on the Big Cypress National Preserve. That's 30 miles east of Naples, Florida. It is that southern rough component, and by now it's there's minimal fire behavior. They kind of boxed it in and burned it. If you haven't fought a lot of fire down in Florida, they have roads everywhere, and they've kind of cordoned off a lot of these sections over the years, whether it's with dozers or just building some sandy dirt roads around large plots of, of forested and southern rough. And it makes it pretty easy if the wind's not blowing and you don't have red flags to box these things in. You just slang some fire and these fires get get cordoned off. And the next thing you know, you have a mostly contained fire pretty quickly. The Raccoon Fire is the most expensive fire currently in the nation with a total cost of $285,000 at this point in time. 75% contained. Then Oklahoma had kind of a spattering of fires. They had the Young Fire in Okessa, Oklahoma. That's being managed by the Bureau of Indian Affairs or the BIA. North Carolina had a couple little fires. They had the Range Fire, 150 acres, 30% contained. Mississippi had the Sun Oil Road Fire. That almost hit 600 acres. And a lot of these things are at a cost of around anywhere between $15,000 and $45,000. And then the Southwest area has one fire on the map. It's 100% contained, but it's called the New Mexico N5S fire. So a pretty interesting name for that, maybe named after a road or something else that's out there. That went 504 acres. We also talked about this as well a couple days back. And since that fire, they've received some precipitation and even parts of New Mexico and Arizona have been seeing some snow as well. That's basically it for the operational update. This list is now going to start growing week by week. We'll see what the spring brings and where we're going to go and how active we're going to be at the beginning of the year. But you can expect that this list will continue to grow. When it comes to Region 5 out in California... They still have all sorts of precipitation and snowfall, but if you read the mainstream media, they're telling you that it's going to be the worst fire year ever, and basically, they've kind of pivoted their tune, where before it was like everything's so dry that it's going to rip and it's going to be an inferno in Armageddon, but now they have record rain and record snowfall, and they've kind of pivoted the messaging towards, well, once it warms up, the grass is going to be 87 feet tall and the sequoias are going to grow 900 feet, and these things are going to rip and burn. Are they completely wrong? No. There's going to be a massive grass crop and a massive spring growth period in California. That's just the way it is. But as we move into the summer months, we'll have to see how quickly those fuels dry out, how receptive they are to new starts and new fire. And quite frankly, we'll have to see if the arsonists are out in California because they have a lot going on out there. But as of right now, they still just need the thaw and they need the warm-up period to happen. Up in Region 6, you have Washington, Oregon. They are receiving some precipitation, but there's parts of Oregon that are very, very dry. There's parts of Washington that are very, very dry. There was just that fire out in Washington in Asotin County, I think it's called or pronounced that way. Um, It was a ditch burn. They were trying to get rid of some vegetation, but the thing took off. And it didn't get like massively huge, but it was significant wildfire activity to where I posted some videos on the Instagram and Twitter of these fires. And basically, it's kind of sporty. There's folks trying to work up the flanks. It's moving pretty quick. They got some helicopters coming in to try to suppress this thing, which they did. But it just shows that even if, you know, your temperatures are 47 degrees, you can still have some wildfire out there. And it's just it's just keys us into that wildfire season is starting. That's what we got for the operational update. Again, this list will continue to grow and we'll get deeper and deeper into more of the details as we get further into it. But let's pivot and talk about what's going on with the congressional delegation from Wyoming that's talking about, hey, you've, you've totally left us out of this infrastructure bill funding and we have plenty of landscapes that need to be made resilient when it comes to, to wildfire. This article was out of Sheridan Media. If you're ever driving through Wyoming, Sheridan's kind of a cool place to stop. It's historic. 
I spent a lot of R&R in Sheridan when I was working in Montana because it was fairly close. There was a nice reservoir there that we could go boating on and we would go eat cheeseburgers, hang out at the local bars. And then they also had some pretty cool rodeos as well. I believe the Pendleton Whiskey Rodeo is, is what's there. And I spent multiple years at that, which is always fun. I'm a big fan of those types of events. But let's get into what the article says which is Wyoming's U.S. congressional delegation is not pleased that the cowboy state has been left out when it comes to preventing large wildfires. On Wednesday, which was March 15th, Senators John Brasso, Synthes Loomis, sorry for this pronunciation, folks, along with Representative Harriet Hagman, sent a letter to the U.S. Department of Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, the U.S. Forest Service Chief Randy Moore, and they were criticizing their agencies for failing to protect Wyoming for the increased threat of catastrophic wildfire. Now, I don't know a lot about these senators other than Cynthia Loomis. And the only thing I know about that gal is she's super pro like Bitcoin. Wyoming is a large Bitcoin mining state, if you don't know. And that's really the only thing I've seen in the news when it comes to Senator Loomis, uh, which I support. I, I don't see why not. I think it's Something everybody should pay attention to, especially with all the banks that are failing out there. But what I'm, my whole point here is that's the only thing I know these politicians for. It continues saying the delegation noted how Wyoming was omitted from the United States Department of Agriculture and Forest Service's 10-year strategy to combat wildfires across the American West and admonished the agencies for excluding Wyoming's membership from the recently formed congressionally mandated wildfire commission. Now, I'll comment on this a little bit here. One, it is it is kind of shocking that Wyoming wasn't a part of the 10-year strategy to combat wildfires. They have a lot of timber up there. There's a lot of Bureau of Land Management land as well. There's all sorts of landscapes that probably could have benefited greatly from some funding to get some of this project work done. When it comes to the Wildfire Commission... Yes, I guarantee you Wyoming doesn't have membership, but so many people don't have membership. The Wildfire Commission, and this isn't a sentence on them doing a bad job or anything like that. It's just what it is, is there's a huge lack of representation in wildland fire on the Wildfire Commission. So I'm not surprised that Wyoming didn't get any sort of seat or membership on this commission. But again, Wyoming is a big wildfire state. They have fires all the time. I personally have spent a lot of time in Wyoming fighting fires. So it's a valid argument. Like, hey, how come we don't have a seat at the table? And there's a lot of people saying that. Whether it's the aviation world, the hotshot world, people in the operation world, in the wildland fire environment. And now states are like, hey, how come we didn't get a seat at the table? That is an ongoing trend as people are starting to realize that this commission is going to have a lot of pull. People are like, Hey, yo, why didn't we get a seat? Like how this thing kind of got thrown together and how come we don't have any representation? The article continued saying the delegation mentioned that according to recent forest service estimates, more than 4 million acres in Wyoming are either high or very high risk to catastrophic wildfires. And yeah, you also have to remember that when we talk about this 10-year plan to make landscapes more resilient, that the White House has mandated that this wildfire risk map that we've been talking about for a very long time is what's being used to say this is risky, this isn't risky, so on and so forth. And Wyoming was considered very high risk on these maps, but they're saying that there wasn't any representation. So let's go through the letter that was sent and really see what they're talking about here. So this was directly to Secretary Vilsack and Chief Moore. It says, We write regarding the U.S. Department of Agriculture's and the Forest Service's ongoing implementation of its 10-year strategy to combat wildfires across the American West. And this has been a huge push. There's billions of dollars going into this. So, yeah, there are going to be states vying for those funds and being like, yo, your own maps say there's 4 million acres that are at high risk or are risky, but we didn't see any of the funding. So they're trying to be proactive and trying to get some of this money because there's a lot of money out there for this. Continuing, while we strongly and unequivocally support efforts to increase the proactive management of national forests, we are deeply concerned with the continued exclusion of our great state of Wyoming. 
We therefore urge the United States Department of Agriculture and the Forest Service to better defend Wyoming's forests and rangelands by including them into this 10-year strategy. As you know, American Western forests in the midst of a crisis. Each year, millions of federal, state, and private acres are devoured by wildfires that are intensified by drought and unhealthy forest conditions, annihilating forested ecosystems, destroying homes and livelihoods, and tragically ending human lives. Yeah, that's all very true. Forest Service data suggests that one-third of all national forest system lands are at severe risk to such devastating landscape-altering wildfires. These 63 million at-risk acres, roughly the equivalent of the entire state of Wyoming. We must actively manage in order to avert future catastrophes and return our national forests to a healthy state. Okay, seems pretty reasonable opening statement. There's some, there's some fear and some doom and gloom in there. There's also some, hey, we need to protect our lands and some facts and figures about, hey, this is what your agencies say is the problem. It continues saying, in recent years, Congress has provided agencies with increased funding and streamlining tools to dramatically increase the pace and scale of wildfire risk reduction projects. In response, on January 18th, 2022, the USDA and Forest Service announced a renewed 10-year strategy to help address the Western wildfire crisis. Under this strategy, the Forest Service committed to directing its increased resources to reducing wildfire risks within areas it deems as fire sheds. New term, kind of keyed out of watersheds, fire sheds, kind of the same thing they're going with there. And large forested landscapes with a high likelihood of ignition with exposed homes, communities, wildlife habitat, and watersheds. Unfortunately, all of the western states located on or west of the Rocky Mountains, this is the big part right here. Unfortunately, all of the western states located on or west of the Rocky Mountains, Wyoming was the only state without a designated fire shed. That's kind of crazy. To me, that seems like a political shot. I don't know if it was, but boy, oh boy, I've spent enough time in Wyoming to where I could be like, hey, this forest could use some work. This forest could use some thinning. This forest could use some burning. Maybe this should be a priority, even if it is one section of the state. Every state was included but Wyoming. That's kind of why I'm covering this is because that's that's pretty incredible. How do you not give Wyoming at least some funding for a forest? That's crazy. You have hotshot crews there. There's folks that are very well known in the wildfire world that come out of the Wyoming wildfire programs. And it's amazing that they, they were left out of this. It continues saying, since then, the Forest Service and the USDA announced significant investments across 21 separate landscapes that largely mirror or overlap designated fire sheds. As such, Wyoming is the only Western state to date to not have received a landscape investment. That's crazy. And it does seem political. If you don't know, Wyoming is known for being very Republican. Obviously, there's a Democratic administration right now. They're the ones who are pushing this whole thing. Yeah, you just hate to see this wildfire stuff be made into politics. It's just a pet peeve of mine, and I don't like it. Like, hey, if you're going to give Oregon, Washington, California, Nevada, Utah, Idaho, Montana, all of this money to help with their landscapes, you can't just leave Wyoming out. It's it's a pretty obvious, it's a pretty obvious shot at them. The letter concludes by saying, we are further troubled by Wyoming's exclusion from the Wildland Fire Mitigation and Management Commission. Hey, Wyoming, you and everybody else. That's just the way it is. You and everybody else is wondering why they were excluded from this commission. And again, I'm not saying this commission is bad or they're not doing a good job. It's just there's a lot of people in the wildfire world who are like, hold on. Why, why were we not involved in this? And if you haven't listened to me talk about this before, it's a lot of nonprofits. It's a lot of other agencies. It's the Department of Homeland Security. Even people from the Defense Department, FEMA, NASA, NOAA, and again, a ton of private sector people who were put on this commission. It says this congressionally mandated commission is tasked with forming federal policy recommendations and strategies to improve wildfire prevention, management, and suppression. 
recognizing the influence of this commission would likely have on America's wildfire strategy, our congressional delegation joined a March 24th, 2022 letter to the United States Department of Agriculture, the Department of the Interior, FEMA, and we specifically requested that Wyoming be represented on this commission. Once again, however, Wyoming was the lone Western state to be excluded. Again, this is why I'm covering this. Wyoming kind of got the shaft here, people. And it does seem politically motivated. Am I surprised by that? No. I wouldn't say I'm surprised that things in the wildfire world are politically motivated. But it's just so obvious. It's, it's like this is a pretty big western state with a lot of wildfire timbered lands that should receive some sort of funding. At least I would think so. It says, like the rest of the West, Wyoming is incredibly vulnerable to catastrophic wildfire. Over the past five years, we have experienced numerous destructive burns, including four wildfires severe enough to warrant emergency assistance from FEMA. In 2018, tens of thousands of acres on the Bridger, Teton, and Medicine Bow National Forests burned in the Roosevelt and Badger Creek fires. Huge fires. In 2020, the Mullen megafire devastated over 175,000 acres on the Medicine Bow Route National Forests. While the RR316 blaze scorched thousands of our rangeland acres in Carbon County. These fires wreaked havoc on our forests and communities. Lives and livelihoods were upended. Precious natural resources and critical infrastructures went up in smoke. According to the recent Forest Service estimates, more than 4 million acres in Wyoming are at either high or very high risk. These acres harbor and neighbor wonderful communities, pristine national treasures like Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks. That's the other crazy part, is they have these massive, beautiful national parks in their state, and they didn't, they still didn't get any funding. Like, hey, if you're going to screw someone over, at least not make it so obvious. That's, like, that's my whole point here. Why'd you make this so obvious? If you didn't make it so obvious, I wouldn't be covering it. It says they also contain important watersheds that are part of the headwaters of the Colorado River. These headwaters are critical for western states that rely on the Colorado River Basin and their vital water resources. The longer the Forest Service and the USDA delay the urgent work needed to restore high-risk acres, good health, the longer our people and resources remain dangerously susceptible to catastrophic fire. Again, we strongly urge both the Forest Service and the USDA to include Wyoming in its 10-year wildland fire strategy and in any other applicable agency efforts to combat Western wildfires. We look forward to your engagement with us on this extremely important issue. So kind of a big deal. Out of all of the Western states, Wyoming was the only one who got shafted. They didn't get any money. If you pay attention to the political atmosphere the last couple years, Wyoming's been kind of getting shot at uh, politically when it comes to funds and monies and things like that. This Senator Loomis, she got a lot of heat because she was pushing Bitcoin mining in Wyoming. And she's one of the ones who headed up this letter to talk about this wildfire funding that was neglected to her state. And she caught a lot of heat for that whole Bitcoin mining thing because, of course, the powers that be don't like that. They don't like that at all. It is a threat to all currencies, really, the U.S. dollar, if you follow this stuff. And in the last couple of weeks, the banks are failing, whether it's in Europe or in the United States. And so she's got a lot of political heat for that as well. I wish these sorts of things didn't carry over into wildfire, especially when it came to fundings out of billions of dollars that have been allocated and uh, an entire state that has national parks and national forests in it that just don't get any dollars at all. I thought I'd cover that. It's extremely interesting to me. It's it's glaring when you look at a map and then it's shaded in who got funds and then Wyoming is just the only one that didn't get any. It's obvious. Like it's obvious that there's some sort of motivation there because I've like I said I've fought fire in Wyoming quite a bit. I know people who fight fire in Wyoming. There's beautiful parks and forests there. There's a ton of work that could be done. And they were just completely and totally left off the map. When it comes to the Wildfire Commission, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised. There are people from Western states who have representation, but not necessarily out of wildland fire. But again, they make the case, hey, we were left out of this commission as well. What's up with that? What's going on? 
And really what it comes down to at this point in time of the year, Chief Randy Moore has a lot of letters to answer is what it sounds like. New Mexico wants some answers. Wyoming wants some answers. And I'm sure there's more. I want some answers. I've been trying to get the chief on for six months now. I received a letter or an email confirming that he was going to come on the show. uh, But then shortly after the immediate person for his office contacted me and said, hey, we have to cancel that. I'll get back to you when we can rebook. So I did get a confirmation that he was going to come on the show, but they did cancel on me and he has not rebooked since. I'm still open. I would like to talk about that. I would like to talk about these landscapes that are being uh, protected with these funds, where the funds are going. Hey, what's going on with the raises? Let's talk about retention and all these other things. And I think it would be great for the audience, which is primarily wildland firefighters and people who live in that wildland urban interface environment. So we'll see where this goes. Basically, he has to respond. Both Tom Vilsack and Randy Moore have to respond to this letter. It would be very uncharacteristic if they didn't respond. So we'll see what comes out of that. Stay tuned for my conversation with Olivia Rose coming up here in the next segment. But I'll take this time to thank all of my paid Substack subscribers and just the free ones as well because you folks share the podcast, you share the articles, and I really appreciate that. Getting the word out there of all the issues that are taking place in the wildfire world. As a lot of you know, everything I do is 100% ad-free and I rely on those Substack subscriptions to continue doing what I'm doing. Whether it's getting people on for interviews, the firefighter donations that go out, and those help firefighters who have been injured that really don't have any other avenue that they can go down to receive any sort of funding for that. All the giveaways that we do, firefighter families that are in need, and also with that paid subscription, you get extra podcasts, access to the entire archive that's out there of our podcasts and articles, the workouts on Monday, and all sorts of other things that come with it. So thank you very much. If you want to participate in that, you just have to go to thehotshotwakeup.substack.com and click on that subscribe button. It's just $6, and that supports everything that we do. So thank you very much for that, and stay tuned for my conversation with Olivia Gagliardi. I have traveled this year over all the United States. Through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies, and the Bitterroot Mountains, the Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras. I have traveled. Up next, we talk to Olivia Gagliardi, former Flagstaff hotshot and now current Missoula smoke jumper, and we discuss the organization Women in Wildland Fire and their event that's coming up here on March 21st. The links for that can be found on the social media. It's also posted in the article below the podcast on the Substack, and we discuss the career path that Olivia took, where she is now, the event that's coming up, and the importance of things like this, you know, just so everybody knows this isn't a woman only event. Anybody can attend, but it is a way to explain to women who are coming into the workforce or who are currently in the workforce, how to progress their careers, what options they have, what avenues to go down and ultimately just be inclusive for the entire industry. It's a great listen and I hope you enjoy. Hello, Olivia. Hey, Tim, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. Can you hear me all right? I'm on my uh, earbuds. Yep, I can hear you well. Let's jump into how you got started in Wildland Fire, the kind of the path you took, where you are now, and then we'll talk about Women in Wildland Fire and the event that's coming up. Yeah, um, so I uh, I had grown up in New Jersey where wildland firefighting really wasn't on the radar at all, but I moved out to Flagstaff in 2014 uh, after I graduated college, got involved with the Conservation Corps world. I, uh, I started working for the American Conservation Experience at that time, and that's where I uh, started working outside for the very first time and also where I learned to use the chainsaw for the first time. 
And at that point, um, the chainsaw program for ACE was run by a woman, uh, Afton McCusack and uh, Marika Flynn as well. And yeah, they're just two badass women who really knew their way around a saw and uh, were really good at felling. And um, Afton had actually spent a couple seasons working on the Coconino uh, before returning to the Conservation Corps. So that was my first introduction to it. But at that time, fire for me was not necessarily on the radar. I kind of wanted to dig into Conservation Corps work for a while. And Um, did you see any fire with that? For people who don't know, with the Conservation Corps, do you... Are you doing just like trails and and like building of that sort of thing? Or is there any wildfire when you're in that uh, organization? Um, for ACE, um, at least the ACE Flagstaff branch, not in particular. I know there are other conservation corps that do get a little bit more involved with that. Um, I think the uh, California Conservation Corps does that. But no, at that time in, uh, in Flag, at the Flagstaff branch, uh, they weren't doing really anything with fire. Um, so, yeah, it was mostly habitat restoration, uh, invasive plant species removal, and trail work. Okay, gotcha. But th- yeah. with your mentors in that group, it, it sparked the interest to, to try fire. Um, so it, it was Afton, um, but honestly, at that point when I was working for her, um, it's... I, I didn't see that for myself. Um, I kind of just wanted to learn as much as I could about the chainsaw from sure. her. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know she had kind of uh, poked that bear a little bit and, you know, tried to get me interested in it then. Um, but I think I was more concentrated on the conservation side of things. Um, I had studied conservation biology and was uh, trying to stay a little bit more in line with that at that point. Yeah. But then I, uh, over the next couple of years, I had left ACE. I did some trail work for the city of Boulder for a season. Um, I spent a summer on a guest ranch in Northern California and then ended up back in Flagstaff to work for the Arizona Conservation Corps. Um, I was crew leading one of their chainsaw habitat restoration crews. Um, and at that point, Afton, who... I had still been in touch with, still considered a mentor. Um, she had moved over there. And um, halfway through that season, I was kind of starting to feel like, okay, I've been doing this for a while. I feel like I've kind of got this down. And I was looking for a new challenge and started talking to Afton about it. And that's when she suggested fire again. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh And so I put an application in and to be honest with you, I thought it was just going to be something I did maybe for a little bit, um, took some time to figure out what my next move was. And, uh, I ended up getting an offer with the Flagstaff hotshots, um, in Flagstaff, Arizona and, uh, ended up falling in love with fire, uh, within the first couple of months. I, I remember thinking like, I, it, it, like I can't believe it took me this long to figure out that this is actually what I wanted to do, and yeah. I, I can't believe how how much this actually makes sense for who I am. Um, you know, what, I've always... what was it? What was it? Was it the challenge? Was it the community? Was it what? 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 What created that? Yeah, um, I, I think it was uh, a couple of those things. I had played team sports all my life, you know, softball, soccer, basketball. And, um, when I saw that camaraderie that, that comes on a, on a crew and, you know, whether that's a a hotshot crew or a hand crew or even an engine, you know, there's, there's that camaraderie there. If you have a a good group of people under a a good leader, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was that community aspect of it. Definitely the challenge again, just from, uh, playing sports for so long um it kind of fed into that that craving that um I I didn't realize that I still had (laughs) it's it has continued to be um one of the most self-actualizing things I've ever done in my life you know you just like are continually up against these challenges and continually doubting your ability to do it and um 
and keep getting these opportunities to kind of prove yourself wrong. Yeah, but it's nice when you prove yourself wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it feels good. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. All right, so you're with Flagstaff. How many years did you do there? Um, so I, I was a rookie in 2018 and was working with them uh, pretty much up until this coming season. Um, so in 2021, um, I was a senior on the crew, so I had my perm. And then um, last season, I took a detail with the Missoula Smoke Jumpers, um, made it through their rookie training and finished the rest of the season with them. And then, um, I mean, really going into it, I, I knew that I was probably going to end up leaving the crew if I, if I made it through rookie training. Um, and so I stepped down for my position as a senior on the crew and accepted a position with the base and I'll be, uh, headed up to Missoula here actually at the end of this month. Uh, to start the, this next part of my career. Very nice. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> Is it super exciting? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a lot of things. Um, <laughs> it's uh, a little bit of, definitely a little bit of fear. <laughs> do you have to do rookie training again since it was just a half-season detail, or how is that going to go down? Um, no, so I um, once you complete rookie training, um, then you're, you get the qualification on your red card and, um, and you're good to go. So, um, I won't, I won't be going through rookie training again. Um, but we do still need to pass the, the minimums, you know, the, um, uh, seven pull-ups, uh, 25 push-ups in a minute, yep. 45 setups in a minute, and then pass the, the mile and a half test. Um, so everybody has to do that every year. And, um, well, you're, you're going to crush through that. So what, where are the nerves coming from? <laughs> um, well, there is still, you know, the expectation that, um, you know, especially coming in your second season, um, the base wants to see that you're still working hard, um, that you didn't just have this mentality of like, Oh, well, I made some rookie training. I don't really need to try anymore. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, um, they, they are, they're expecting you, especially in that second season to come back, uh, super strong, um, there's the, the element of leaving my community and Flagstaff. I've got a, a pretty deeply rooted community now with, um, between the people that I worked with in the conservation Corps, uh, my fire folks. Um, I also, I volunteer with the Coconino County search and rescue and we have a, a really wonderful unit of people there. So, um, yeah, leaving the the other parts of my community, um, and uh, just wanting to make sure that I'm uh, an asset to the base. You know that I I've got something to bring to the table for them. Well, I don't think they would bring you on if that wasn't the case, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. And Missoula is a big fire; it's wildfire town, and and Flagstaff and Missoula kind of have some similarities. So you know, transitions mm-hmm. are always hard, but it, it shouldn't be that you know, that difficult once you get rooted a little bit, right? Right. Yeah. And, uh, we have some really wonderful people at the base as well. And, uh, I've already kind of picked out a couple as my to be mentors. Um, and, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a really supportive base overall. And one of the things that I really appreciate too, is, um, I feel like the base is constantly, uh, evaluating and reevaluating what they can do to make their folks better. Um, this year, Missoula is trying out this, uh, I think they're calling it a intuitive flight refresher. Um, so every year, um, you don't need to go through rookie training, but everybody does go through a three week jump refresher just to make sure that everybody's, you know, good to go after not jumping for six months. Yep. So it's, uh, like, like rookie training light kind of. Um, and normally, uh, at least at Missoula, I, I can't speak for the other bases, but at Missoula, my understanding is people usually go through like seven to 10 jumps. Um, but for the second and third year, you're talking, you're talking preseason practice jumps. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but this year for the people coming in for their second and third seasons, um, they want to do a little bit more of an in-depth jump refresher um, just because we don't have that same um, like years of jumping that some of the other folks do or just depth of experience is not mm-hmm. as strong. Um, so instead of just seven to 10 jumps, um, it sounds like we may be doing, you know, 15 to 20 practice jumps just to really make sure that we're good to go before the season. Um, and I appreciate the base just like taking a step back and being like, okay, how can we make our, our folks better? Uh, I think that's what really makes for a more resilient community overall. Yeah, it's nice to know that the folks you're working for have some buy-in and want to uh, keep expanding everybody's knowledge base and their experience Mm -hmm. and just making sure everybody's dialed in. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, let's jump into Women in Wildland Fire. There's an event coming up, right? It's on the 21st -hmm. of March. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. 21st of March, 5 p.m. to 6.45 Pacific, and it looks like it's going to be a Zoom event. Can you kind of talk about what that is, how you got involved, what it's about, what people can expect? You do have some bullet points on the on the website. It's womeninwildlandfire.weekly.com. And, uh, you know, it says you talk about entering the world of wildland fire, female leadership in fire, retention and staying in firefighting, and then life after fire. Can you just kind of break everybody down on what, what it is, what they can expect from the event, and how you got involved? Yeah, so um, this is an event that um, a friend of mine, uh, Chris Ives, who uh, he's a squatty on San Juan, mm-hmm. he and uh, a friend of his, um, Megan, who was also working in primary fire at the time, they had started it back in 2017. Um, both of them kind of recognized, like, hey, we, uh, as a as fire in general, you know, it's not just the Forest Service, but I would say all fire organizations in general um we are having an issue with diversity you know and it's uh it's not just women it's people of all different backgrounds and um i i know chris really well and i know he's the type of person that when he uh sees a a problem he wants to figure out a way to fix it um and so they started this event back in 2017 i believe um as an informational event. Um, We're really intentional about calling it an informational event, not a recruiting event. We are not linked to any sort of uh, federal or fire organization. Um, But just to get the story of uh, different women working in fire out there um, and kind of show people some of the other faces of fire that maybe they don't normally think of, you know, it's... um, uh, the reality is like, you know, typically in our society, when people think of a, a firefighter, there's kind of a pretty standard image that comes up in their head. And um, so they wanted to just show people that uh, there are other people out there doing fire, you know, show women that there's uh, folks that look like them who are doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I became involved with it in 2018. Chris asked me to be a, a panel member and um so what we've done in the past is the first portion of it um, is a bit more information on fire in general, um, the different organizations that you can work for, the different types of resources you can work for. Um, and he would get a little bit more into um, the application side of things. And then the second half of it was a Q&A with a panel of female firefighters. Um, and we've had people, because uh, we've done it, every year since and uh, we've had people from all over the country uh, working for different resources Uh, one year we actually had Deanne Shulman who was the first female smoke jumper Mm -hmm. Um, we've had Shauna Lagarza who was the first superintendent of uh, San Juan Hotshots Mm -hmm. Uh, now she works in fire and aviation and um, and yeah we asked questions ranging from um, how did you get into fire uh, what type of resource did you work with initially to, um, you know, what are some of the challenges that you've faced in fire, either um, physically, mentally, uh, socially, 
um, what have you found works for you to prepare for the season? Um, and, uh, and what keeps you staying in fire? Um, and, uh, yeah, we've, we've had some pretty good turnouts for it. Um, initially we had done it in person at NAU and then in 2020, because of COVID, we had to switch gears and put it up on zoom. Um, and we actually found a huge benefit with that because we were able to get people who, um, maybe wouldn't have been able to make it to Flagstaff otherwise, um, so we're able to get a bigger range of people both on our panel and in our audience, which has been really exciting. Um, and this year, uh, we're changing it up just a little bit. Um, we're not going to do as much on the side at the beginning of talking about different fire organizations and fire resources, although we have put all of that information up on our website for anybody who um, is at the very beginnings of trying to get into fire and is mm -hmm. not sure where they think they want to go. Um, so all of that is up on our website. Um, and so instead of that, we're going to spend more time on the Q and a side with the panel. And, uh, we've specifically chosen a couple of women who are more at the beginnings of their career, you know, maybe only been in fire for a couple of seasons, uh, women who are, kind of in the, the more mid-range of their careers and, uh, and women who have um, stepped away from primary fire and gone on to other things but are still connected to the fire world. Um, and so we're going to try out this new format. Uh, I'm really excited to see how it turns out. And uh, we want to introduce things um, that are not just about like how people initially got into fire, but we want to show people that there's other avenues that they can take. And, uh, and we want to talk to these women about, uh, what type of leadership roles they've held in fire, um, and hear what some of their future goals are, uh, either in fire or moving on to something else. Um, but we're hoping by changing it in this way, we can give a more, um, rounded view of what people can make of their fire careers. You know, it doesn't just have to be in primary fire the entire time. Um, and also it's, it's cool to recognize that these females have gone on and, uh, gone into more of leadership roles. And, uh, I know for me, that's a, that's a big thing that, that keeps me working in here is believing that, uh, there are other higher roles that I can take on and, hopefully be somebody else's mentor at some point. Yeah, I think that's something that's missed a lot, especially in coming out of like the hotshot world. I just had a conversation about this exact same thing about a week ago um, with an individual. He's also up in Montana. He lives in Missoula. He did uh, mm -hmm. hotshotting his whole career, worked his way up, uh, overhead roles. And then he kind of had, you know, that internal crisis, like what, what, where do I go? Like I can become mm -hmm. an AFMO, I can become an FMO, but that's the normal role. What are, what, like you just said, like, what are the other avenues that I can get mm -hmm. into that, that allows me to do this? And he found aviation and drones and like, a, he's in that surveillance oh, cool. world. Um, but I think that's important to, to, to discuss to people. And, and some of the gals that I've worked with, they have the same the same thing. They're like, well, yeah, I could become a squatty, and then where do I go from there? And and am I just stuck in fire? So I think that is a very important mm -hmm. topic to to cover. Do you just off the top of your head, like, do you have an avenue that you're like you're goal oriented towards that eventually takes you down a different path than just primary fire until retirement? Um, that's kind of something I'm still sussing out for myself. Yeah. Um, Right now, you know, moving um, into the smoke jumping world, um, my kind of goal right now is to build up some of those single resource qualifications. Um, but uh, I do think that I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to want to start invest investing in somebody else's fire career. Like, um, you know, some of the, the overhead that I've had on the crew were really great about investing in my experience and my career and helping me find the ways to build up. And I think I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to want to have that for somebody else. Um, so I could see myself going back to 
uh, a crew of some sort. I'm not sure right now if that would be a hotshot crew or, or a hand crew or, or what that looks like. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, uh, ending up in more of a, a mentoring role is, uh, kind of a farsight goal right now. And then, uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm also still figuring that out. Um, yeah, which isn't abnormal. Like that seems to be the story. Yeah. It really does. Like yeah. that seems to be the story. Like, um, you, you, you know, the initial goal is get on the hotshot crew. Then it's, uh, then, you know, what, whatever it is from there, want to be a squatty, want to be in, uh, a foreman. Then, Oh, I'm going to go jump. I, I want this. I want mm-hmm. that. And, uh, you know, I've talked about it a lot with folks in the fire world. I don't know if it's the way it is with everybody or if it's just wildland firefighters. It might be with everybody, but we have these, we have these stepping stones and and we set high goals for ourselves because these things aren't easy to Mm -hmm. accomplish, but like, it seems we're one stepping stone at a time. And again, like this could just be a human condition that that's just the way it is. It's not just wildland fire, but everybody seems to be, in that same boat, some, some, somehow, some way that they get to this new, exciting, very difficult goal to accomplish. And then it's like, okay, well now where, now where do I go? So I think it's awesome that you guys are talking about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, one thing that, um, I, that's, that really, um, keeps me up at night sometimes honest to be honest yeah. with you is um that we have had a uh, a retention issue you know that's like the the topic that everybody's talking about everybody's having a retention issue well yeah it's and, a huge um, issue you know <laughs> it is it's a right, huge yeah. issue yeah and you know peering uh you know into the future you know 10 years down the line um you know what is our uh experience and leadership going to look like uh if we're having these retention issues with seasonals right now and so um that's where like i uh if to be honest i do feel a little uh almost obligated to stay in because i'm like okay well like uh we're gonna need leadership somewhere (laughs) yeah Um, and you're not the only uh, one there's a lot of people who are saying mm -hmm. like I, you know, am I the one who's got to try to hold the ship together for my organization? It's, right, it's a bad, yeah. it's, it is a bad spot to be in, but at the same time, like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to dive into anything too hardcore here, but sure. the people who, who run these organizations across the country and not, like I said, I'm not just talking mm-hmm. about forest service, BLM, BIA, the private industry, state foresters, whoever they are, they mm-hmm. God, they have to realize that it's so valuable to have people like that. If you own a mm-hmm. private business and your and your business is struggling to keep employees, but you have a few certain employees who are like, "I am so die hard to try to keep this ship afloat." Like, support those people. Like, these mm-hmm. are the people you need. Uh, but I'm on a soapbox and I rant on this thing all the time. But, <laughs> but it's yeah. a, like you said, and like everybody knows. Uh, retention is an issue and, and there needs to be mm-hmm. ways to try to bolster that and, and sure up the loose ends and, and make sure this train keeps moving down because it's necessary. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, uh, another driving factor for us to keep doing this informational event is that, um, uh, our retention, our resiliency and overall our, uh, diversity in the forest service is a very, um, it's a very multifaceted issue and, Mm-hmm. I also won't dive too deep into this, but um, it, it, it it does feel like in a lot of ways it's being looked at as like, oh, well, we just need to hire more diversity. Well, that's not really an actionable plan, you know. Um, I agree with you. I agree with you. If you yeah. Um, if you want to hire more diversity, then you need to recruit more diversity. And again, I'm not just talking about getting women, but I'm talking about people from all different backgrounds. Um, and, um, so it's, it's a multifaceted issue that needs multifaceted actions Mm -hmm. to to implement it. Um, and so that is uh, part of why we're doing this at, I guess you could call it more of the the grassroots level is, uh, as we recognize that there's really a a recruitment issue out there. And, um, and Tim, I do want to mention that, um, this event is, for all people from 
all different backgrounds. It's not just targeted for women. Um, you know, we do encourage people from all different backgrounds and, um, it's actually really awesome when we get, um, some men in there in our audience to also come and hear these women's stories and, um, and again, like you, like you said, um, maybe hear about some of these other routes that they might be able to take in their career, um, as well as how they can be allies for the women um, working for their resource. 100%. So if I tune in on March 21st, I won't get kicked out? That's correct. Yeah, <laughs> we've got a whole... <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right. Well, and, and to add to that, Sometimes I think to myself, like I'm all about it as well. When I was on, when I ran a crew, you know, I, I hired women. I'd like having women on the crew because they offer a different perspective. They offer a different energy. And I think all together, it ultimately works well as long as here's the thing. And I'm, I'm glad you made the point that everybody's welcome because sometimes in fire and it, it, on a grander scale, it's like crew to crew or like forest to forest or agency to agency. There is the, what I consider it unfortunate thing that happens sometimes and people get kind of clicky and, uh, you know, you have this group and that group and I've been preaching it for years. Like we just need to all be like, yo, we're all, we're all wildland firefighters. Let's try to get along. Um, but yes, there are going to be differences in people and uh, mm-hmm. having a diverse, uh, you know, group of folks is good because, you know, any supervisor down the line is going to tell you like, hey, I've been in the game for 15 years, 20 years, like I'm not seeing the little stuff anymore. So say something and and, and mm-hmm. maybe I'll see it. And that goes through all aspects. So, yeah, I, it's great that everybody's welcome. I encourage that. And, and I think that's awesome. I probably will tune in. And awesome. yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, that's just my two cents. It's like everyone should want this, but at the same time, mm-hmm. let's not get like clicky about it. That's just, that's another like little rant that I get on sometimes because that just divides people more when it's like, Oh, well I wasn't invited to that or, Oh, it's just for them. It's <laughs> like, no, 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 no. This is part of the community. If you want to attend, attend. If you don't, don't, but like, you're welcome if you are. And I think that's the way to go about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're we're not here to uh, push anybody out or make anybody feel like, well, that like this group of people is more important than another group of people. And um, you know, even even our on, on our end with this event, like we can be doing better about um, bringing more diversity into our own events. You know, um, being completely honest, a, a lot of the women on our panel um, primarily tend to be uh, white and cis and uh, it would be great to bring in some people from you know the lgbtq plus community um people from other uh races and ethnicities that um like we can also be doing better on our panel because again we're just trying to show that there's all these different faces of fire and uh people that uh that look like you out there yeah i think it's great well hey do you have any last words on the event or you know, a shout out to the 2023 fire season and everybody who's listening. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, as far as the event, uh, again, please come and join us on March 21st at 5 PM PST. Um, and Tim, would you just mind, uh, posting our website to your, uh, if you, if you end up doing a post about this, uh, could you just put our website up there so they can access the zoom link? Of course. Uh, that would be super helpful. Thank you. And, um, yeah, and again, please come join us and see some of the other faces of fire, hear people's stories, learn how you can be an ally to people. And uh, as far as the 2023 season, uh, let's be safe out there and give her hell. Awesome. Well, hey, Olivia, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, maybe after the season or if you have any more events coming on or you ever want to chat about anything, hit me up and we'll get you back on the show. Okay, great. Thanks for the support, Tim. We really appreciate it. I have traveled this year over all the United States, through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, the Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras.
That's the show for today. Thanks again to the paid Substack subscribers that make everything I do possible. If you want to take part in that, just go to thehotshotwakeup.substack.com. Click on that subscribe button. It's just $6 to subscribe. If you are one of the thousands of free subscribers out there, thanks to you. You're the ones who are sharing these podcasts and articles and spreading awareness and the word of what the issues are and letting folks hear from people in the industry that I have on in the wildfire world. So thanks to all of you out there. I appreciate it, and I couldn't do it without you. Remember, reach out to someone you haven't talked to in a while. Hit them up. See how your homie's doing. Stretch, hydrate, get outside, get some exercise, get a workout in, eat those quality calories, get the rest you need because that's the most important thing. But remember, when you get up, you got to get it done. Yeah.